0: And then we'll try to pick up where we left off last week. The Word of God says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit, it is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Father, Lord, we come now and we just ask that you would be with us today. We ask, Lord, that you, as we just sung, that your spirit would come and would enable us uh, to lift up our praise, to lift up our worship to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach. pray that you would give understanding to the brethren that are here to teach them. Lord, we pray that our message today will extol the wonders of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We thank you for that salvation. We thank you for... The gospel, Lord, that we have before us to preach, to teach, to love. And Lord, we pray by your grace to obey. And so we ask, Lord, that you just uh, uh, fill our minds today with thoughts of Christ. Lord, I pray today that if there's any here that is yet to be converted that is yours, I pray, Lord, that by the gospel that they might be drawn to you today and that they might profess that faith in Christ Jesus and that they might be baptized that they might join uh, this local body, and that they might be uh, servants of Christ Jesus uh, as He enables them through His Spirit. And so, Father, Lord, we just again thank You so much for this day. We thank You for these brethren that you brought to us today. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now, brethren, if you remember last week, for those that was here, and for those who wasn't, I want to try to do a little bit of a recap. Um, We went to Romans chapter 12. Brother J.C. Fulton, whenever he was here a couple of weeks ago, he preached on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And if you want to turn there with me, let's just kind of look at a couple of things as I try to refresh the memory of those who was with us this last week, but uh, fill in those who were not. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 If you remember, Brother J.C. preached on these two verses and the stress of his message, which I I mentioned to the church was a great segue into what we've been learning in the the letter to the Galatians, is basically in uh, verse 2 of Romans 12, that says, "...to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." Uh, And if you remember Brother J.C. in his sermon... He talked about that the only way that we can present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and blameless under the Lord, uh, the, everything is in verse one, is by faith. It's by faith that we do these things. We come to Christ and we, we look to Christ and what all he has done, and that is what conforms our mind or transforms, uh, uh, The way that we are transformed and the renewing of our mind comes by thinking upon what Christ has done for us, okay? And and that is perfectly in line, and and it should be, because the Holy Spirit has written all these letters, and Paul, the one who actually penned these things, has spoken in both places, not only in Romans, but also in Galatians and in other places throughout the Scripture. And so, there is going to be no contradictions, Right? And we know that Paul in Romans, and as we looked at last week, we saw that Paul for 11 chapters has written a doctrinal thesis upon how God saves His people. How we are justified before a holy God and that we have been elected, that we have been called, that we have been justified, that we have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so he has spent 11 ruling chapters, 11 in-depth chapters, teaching us that salvation is by Christ alone and not by anything that we do, and that even our sanctification is by Christ alone and doesn't have anything to do with what we do. And so he has preached grace alone through Christ alone. That was Paul's message for 11 chapters. And I grew up, and, and, and I probably mentioned this last week, I don't remember, but I grew up hearing the first 11 chapters is, is is doctrine. 12 through 16 that Paul wrote is practical application. This is how we apply that doctrine to our lives. Now, I will say this, I'm not going to completely disagree with that statement, but I will disagree with the understanding that I had and at least that I preached whenever I preached that. And that is the way that we apply that doctrine that we just heard in the first 11 chapters is by yielding ourselves to Christ. By giving ourselves and, and permitting Christ to live in us and through us. By yielding our bodies. By yielding our spirits. By yielding to Him and submitting to Him and letting God do it. Let God be in charge. Let God be the Lord of your life. Well, brethren, that's as far from the truth as as anything. We don't let God do anything. We don't permit God to do anything. We don't yield ourselves to God. God is in control of everything in our lives. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the Lord's hands and He turns it whithersoever He wills. And if He does that for the king, He does that for even those below the king. Okay? So God turns our hearts. He's the one who is in control of who we are and what we do. And it's by His power, by His work, that we are what we are. That's why Paul said, you know, what has made me different? I am what I am because of what Christ is doing. Okay? So, as we read in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it starts out, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice... There you go. you got to yield yourself to God. That's not what that said. It said to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, last week I spent an hour and 45 minutes showing that this cannot mean that we are to present these bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, being our reasonable service. Because it would contradict everything that Paul has taught in the first 11 chapters, everything that Paul has taught in Galatians, everything that Paul has taught in Colossians, everything that Paul has taught in almost every epistle that he has written, it contradicts the Word of God for us to take the meaning of this is that we take these bodies and the service that we do in the flesh and present that to Christ. Because, brethren, as we've seen last week, there's only one sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And that's Christ's. His body was the only sacrifice that was acceptable unto God. He is the living sacrifice. He died for us as Hebrew as we read in Hebrews once for all time. So there's only one sacrifice. We read in Hebrews that by the blood of bulls and goats, God is not pleased with. And that was the act of service of the old covenant that God gave for them. And he wasn't pleased with that. He wasn't accepting that. It could not take away sins. It could not cover the conscience. But we learned that there was a new and better way which by, was by the sprinkling of blood and by that sprinkling of blood it clears our consciousness and by the work of that living sacrifice whoever lives to intercede for us that living sacrifice, Christ Jesus stands and says my obedience was their obedience. My death was their death. We were vitally united to Christ whenever He lived Whenever he died, therefore as our substitute, his life, his death are our life and our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. And therefore, him being the living sacrifice is us being the living sacrifice. Him being the body that the, that the obedience of God was wrought out in, was our body that the obedience of God. What does it say there? Holy unto God. It was Him. He was the one who was holy before God. We know that the Bible says that there is none holy but God. He's holy. We're not holy. We are viewed as holy because we are united to Christ Jesus. But we are not holy. We are never going to be holy in this lifetime. So he cannot be talking about us being a living sacrifice because there's only one sacrifice even if we could be the sacrifice. Let's just say that. It's not going to be a living sacrifice because this flesh is dying. The Bible says that this flesh is continually to die but the inner man, that new man, that new creation that's inside us, it's renewed every day. It's livened every day. It's not dying. It's, it's living continually but this outer man it perishes it continues to waste away it's dying from the minute you're born from your mother's womb you begin the dying process you're dying from day one until the day of whatever god has chosen for you to die and so we cannot be a living sacrifice because everything done in this flesh is not only flesh that cannot please god but it's a dying sacrifice it is something that cannot live. It's something that cannot continue. It is something that is temporal. It is not going to make it past this earthly time realm. It is not going to make it into eternity. All the works of the flesh are not going to work whenever we come before God and are judged before God, whenever the Bible says that it is given unto man, once to die, and after that the judgment, whenever we stand before Jesus Christ, the Almighty Judge, and the books are open, he is not going to look into a book of works that we have done and say, "Well done, good faithful servant. You came to church. You give your money. You didn't swear. You didn't, you know, uh, get drunk. You didn't, you know, steal. You didn't kill anybody. You didn't miss the Sabbath. You didn't, uh, you know." He's not going to open up the books and start judging us that way, brethren. To the child of God, now he's going to do that with everybody else. The reprobate. But for the child of grace, whenever the books are opened, He's going to see that we're written in the Lamb's book of life. Therefore, there was a Lamb slain on our behalf. Therefore, there was someone who stood in our place. Whenever we are judged, we are going to be found 100% perfect and holy before God. Because to our account, in the book of God, we are justified, we are righteous, we are holy We are sanctified. Whatever the terms you want to put down in there, we are perfect. But it's not from what we did in this body that was perfect. It's what Christ did. So we can't be the living sacrifice. We can't be holy. And what about this? Acceptable unto God. Is there anything that you can do through this flesh that is acceptable unto God? Well, we've already learned in Galatians that the flesh is not acceptable to God. We've learned in Romans. The flesh is not acceptable to God. Paul just spent a heart-wrenching testimony of his own life in chapter 7 talking about the battle between the flesh and the Spirit and how the flesh absolutely cannot do anything to the very point where Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. The one who says that I am the chief of sinners. So, can we do anything to be accepted of God? Or can we do anything that's acceptable to God? Absolutely not. We cannot do anything acceptable. Matter of fact, as we've seen last week, Ephesians chapter 1, it says that the only way that there's anything acceptable about us is the fact that we have been made acceptable in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 1. We've been made accepted in the Beloved. It's in Him that we are made accepted. It's because of His obedience and His death that we are accepted. So it's not us there. It's not us. (coughs) So what does he mean there? We kind of got to that at the end last week. What does he mean then? If he means to present our bodies. Well, what Paul is saying there, if you will look at verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So we know that he's talking about the people of God, right? He's not talking about the reprobate. He's talking about the seed of God. The elect of God. Those chosen before the foundation of the world. Those that were sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus. United with Him. An eternal, vital union. He's talking about us. but Look what he says. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies. See, that was the key. I didn't really hone in on that last week, but that's the key to knowing what he means here in verse 1 and 2. It's by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Well, Paul just spent, again, 11 chapters talking about the mercies of being elected, being called, being justified, being sanctified. But I think more than anything, he's speaking of the mercies that was promised to David, if you look in context. Look with me, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55. Let's look at verse three, Isaiah fifty-five, and verse three. It says, "Incline your ear and come unto me; here and your soul shall live." Now, this isn't talking about doing anything works of the flesh, right? This is incline your ear, listen to what I'm saying. Come unto me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. I can read. I can't really read this morning. My eyes are blurry. So he's talking about the sure mercies of David. Now, again, look in Acts chapter thirteen. We looked at this last week. Acts chapter 13 starting in verse 32 remember David was a type of Christ Acts 13 32 it says and we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith, also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine Holy One to seek corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. So he's talking about the sure mercies of David. What are the sure mercies of David? It's the things that he promised David that he would do for his people. It's the things that he promised to the people in the covenant. The covenant that He made was that He would forgive their sins, that He would justify them based upon the work of Him, of Christ, right? And so He says here, and by Him all that believe are justified. Not will be justified. Do you notice that? The reform say you will be justified when you believe. But this is those who believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. So the law of Moses cannot justify us before God. Once again, we've heard that a thousand times in our study. So here if we go back to Romans 12, we see that the mercies of God are the promises that Christ will do the work on our behalf. That the that the promises of the covenant will be given to us. Is everybody following that? You see what I'm talking about? So Paul is saying here, that's why he used the word therefore. If you remember I spoke about therefore, the therefore is to tell us that everything that I said beforehand, I want to bring it down to a point right here. Because of everything that has happened, all the promises that was given to you and all that doctrine that I just preached in 11 chapters, in light of that, present by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Through the mercies of Christ, present. How do we present ourselves before God? How do we come before God? How do we show our service to God according to God's Word? Is it by doing things in the flesh? No. It's by coming to Him and presenting ourself the way that our head did. The way that our leader did. The way that our husband did. The way that our Savior did. He presented Himself perfect obedience, perfect death, resurrection. That was presented unto God. And by His blood, He sprinkled our hearts We were forgiven of our sins and our conscience is made clean. By the sprinkling of blood, our consciences are made clean. Whenever we have been born from above, brethren, and by God's mercy and grace, we are converted from thinking wrongly about righteousness, God brings us into the understanding that it is by His blood and it is not by our works. His blood has cleansed us, and therefore we have been forgiven of every sin. So we don't have to work to gain acceptance. We don't have to. Uh, we don't have to keep the law to gain acceptance before God. Our reasonable act of service isn't to put this fleshly body to work with a list of things to do. Our reasonable service is to believe that Jesus Christ is standing as our living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God and we're in Him and therefore we are just as He is. That's our reasonable act of service. And you say, well, what about all these other things that we're told to do? Rather, All these admonitions of God are things that the Spirit is going to work in our heart, but they are not the things that we are to do to gain acceptance with God or to keep acceptance with God. Again, it's by the mercies of God that we present ourselves before God. It's by those mercies, not by our actions. And as I mentioned, we know for a fact, and I said this very at the very beginning last week, I don't claim to have all this figured out. I don't claim to know all the Word of God. I'm still learning just like everybody else is, and I've only been given the life that I've been given. And sometimes we may not know what something actually means, but we can also, we can know what it doesn't mean. And just like here, we know that it cannot mean that we are to be a living sacrifice because we cannot be a sacrifice before God. There's only one sacrifice. We know that we're not holy. We know that we're not acceptable unto God by the things that we do. So we know what it's not saying. It's not saying these things are going to make us acceptable before God because God will not accept these things in our flesh. He will not accept anything done by our flesh. Therefore, we are left with only one course of action, and that's to trust in Christ. And brethren, that's what it means to renew your mind. Be transformed. He says, be not conformed to this world. What does he mean by that? What is being conformed to the world? What is the world doing? The world is thinking, and you can go to every religion outside of this type of religion that we preach. Go to any religion. And I'm even talking about professed Christianity. Go to every religion. And what is at the center of every religion? That's common in every one of them. Anybody know? Free will. You look at every religion, including modern day Christianity, and you find at the very center of that is, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Buddha. I have decided to follow Allah. I have decided to follow Hare Krishna or whoever else you want to put in there. Okay. I have decided to follow Jesus. But not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that we have made up in our own mind that doesn't save everybody that he died for. That only made salvation possible. But leaves it into your hands to accept it or reject it. See, that's the Jesus they have accepted. That's the Jesus that they follow. It really isn't the Jesus of the Bible. At the heart of every religion is free will. And at the heart of free will, the reason that free will is there is so that we can make the choices to do what God has said and therefore establish a righteousness of our own. At the heart of the world system is producing a righteousness of our own. If you remember, I mentioned to you that that is the nature of Adam. Adam. That's who we are in Adam. We are people who think we can produce a righteousness of our own. But we can't. God won't accept any righteousnesses of our own. He will only accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we're not to be conformed to the world in thinking that we can do anything to perform a righteousness before God. That's what Paul is saying here. He spent all this time saying salvation is by grace alone in Christ. By Christ. And we understand that. We live in that by faith. He's not going to turn right around and say, now get out there and get busy trying to make yourself right before God. That is contradictory to all that the Scriptures teach. So what are we talking about? We're talking about conform, don't be conformed to the world system, which is do it yourself and be good, but we're looking at being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transform ourselves from thinking this way to thinking this way. And how do we do that? By the renewing of our mind. Thinking upon how we were saved. And by doing so, we prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, turn back to Galatians and we'll get into what we (coughs) want to see today, Galatians chapter 5. Now, we saw last week when we were looking through uh, the Scriptures that there is a new and living way as opposed to... Oh, you said it last week the old and dying way you have just the opposite the old covenant is the old and dying way the new covenant is the new and living way the old covenant has passed away the new covenant here to stay Oh, it didn't know it. <clears throat> now, this new and living way is through the blood of Jesus Christ. We come a different way. There is a new and living way to live, and it's not by performance. It's not by the works in the flesh. Now look again at our passage, verse 16. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. Now let's look at this phrase, walk in the Spirit. We've talked about this already multiple times. All the phrases, walk in the light, obey the truth, obey the gospel, walking by faith, walking in the spirit, all these are talking about the exact same thing. It's walking in faith. Walking by faith of what Jesus has done. Looking to his obedience for our own obedience. Looking at his sacrifice. Looking to our substitute and not at ourselves. That's what walking in the Spirit means. And I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. But it says, walk in the Spirit. It means to trust that we are accepted. Trust that we have kept the work of Christ by His work. Trust that there is not any acts that we can do or might be able to do, but it's what He has done. It doesn't even say that, that, that we're to get out there and do things as God works through us. It's what God has worked in us. It's what God works in you. Not through you, it's in you. The works of God that He has ordained for you to walk in are works that He works in you. And you will walk in them. That's the promise of God, that you will walk in them. But these walks are spiritual walks. They're not fleshly walks. They're spiritual walks. Now look what he says here because I want us to understand a couple of things. He says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Now we already learned that in Romans 7. Paul said that. Okay? That war between the flesh and the spirit. <coughs> But look what it says. It says the flesh lusts. That word lust there means to desire strongly or to covet. Okay? So the flesh desires strongly against the work of the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit strongly against the flesh. But what does he say? He says these two are contrary. What does the word contrary mean? Opposite, right? Yeah. Complete opposite. The The works of, of the flesh are opposite the works of the Spirit. Or the, or the lust of the Spirit. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the Spirit are in complete opposition to each other and therefore the Holy Spirit of God by Paul is telling us therefore since these things are in us both and both of these are adamantly opposed to each other, as I said in Romans 7, therefore there is this principle. We cannot do what we want to do. Now does he mean that in the spirit or in the flesh? That's my question to you. Don't answer that too quick. Look at our our verse there. He says the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that. So the fact that these are contrary one to the other, that makes it where you cannot do the things that ye would. Now, there is something in the flesh that wants to do what it wants to do, right? But there is something in the Spirit that wants to do what it wants to do, Right? But if you notice there, it doesn't, it doesn't delineate between which one cannot be done. Can we do the works of the flesh? Absolutely we can. Do we do the works of the Spirit? Absolutely we do. So that kind of asks the question, what does it mean then? If we cannot do the things that we would, but yet we do things in the flesh and we do things by the Spirit. What is it talking about there, brethren? Well, I hope I'm not losing you. But here's the thing. Because the flesh lusts against the Spirit, therefore, we do things in the flesh and we don't want to. The Spirit doesn't like the works of the flesh. Whenever I sin against God, do I like that? Absolutely, I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to be unholy. I don't want to be unrighteous. I don't want to do things that is displeasing to God. And so the Spirit, I want to do good. I want to do righteousness. I want to do holiness. I want to do the things that is always pleasing before God. But because of my flesh, I cannot. Because the flesh is weak and cannot keep the law of God. So I cannot do the things in the Spirit that I want to do. But let's look at the other side. The Spirit lusts against the flesh. So those things of the flesh that come up that I do want to do, the Spirit is there and in most cases, most of the time, overrides what the flesh wants to do. Brethren, listen, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God in us, the flesh would have full reign and control to do anything that it wants to do. But God, by His providence, in His perfect purpose, has decreed that sin remain in the child of grace to humble us before God, to remind us of our need for Him. And therefore, as sin still remains, God has purpose in that sin, and God uses that sin to chasten His his children, and in chastening his children, they begin to look unto Jesus. They continue to look to Jesus because every time that sin comes up, the Holy Spirit convicts us. Every time that sin comes in, our awakened mind knows that we have sinned against God and therefore it drives us back to Christ. So sin, while it is evil, while sin, it's condemning, Sin in the child of grace is a tool that God uses. To the reprobate, it's nothing but condemnation, brethren. But to the child of grace, sin is still a tool that God uses to chasten us because He loves us and to teach us and to grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I would not have even known what sin was except by the law. God give me this law which, I knew, which He never meant for me to keep and by my nature cannot keep. He gave me this law. Why? To drive me into the dust, showing me over and over and over again my sinfulness. God had a purpose in sin. The law came in so that sin might abound. God has given us the law so that we might see we are sinners. And in showing us we're sinners to the child of grace who has a mind... From heaven understands that we cannot do or accomplish anything. Therefore we have to look to Christ. It keeps us looking to Christ. And just think about it in your own experience, brethren. Every time you sin against God, does it not drive your knees drive you to your knees to go to Christ? To thank Him for His forgiveness? To thank Him for His grace? To see that you cannot make it? On your own? That's what, this, that's what that does. And so God has given us the Spirit, and that Spirit in us keeps us from doing a lot of things that we would, by nature, want to do and continue to do. But it has caused us to not do that. So that consternation is there. The flesh is flesh and it cannot please God. Jesus said that John 3. The Spirit is spirit and is perfect and obeys God. The Spirit does not work uh, on the flesh or make it better. It's two residing principles within us. The nature of us, which is an Adam, the flesh, and that new creation that's above, the Spirit of God that lives in us. Think of it this way. If the Spirit works anything in the flesh to make it better, it is no longer just flesh, right? Let's go back to thinking about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, God working in us and through us. So, God causes us to do these actions outwardly that those actions are going to be accepted. The outward things. Again, I'm talking about the outward things. Things done in the flesh, by the flesh, through the flesh. If the Spirit of God comes in and does something through the flesh, then the flesh is no longer just flesh. It's a mixture, right? But the Bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, it doesn't become something else. When we are born of God, the flesh doesn't change, it doesn't get better. God doesn't regenerate us. Okay? That word regeneration is not used for being born from above. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what regeneration was. That's the regeneration that's found twice in the Word of God. In that context only. When we are born of God... That is whenever the Holy Spirit is given to us, that's a new creation. That's a new creature. That's not something reworked in us. So if the Spirit works anything in the flesh and to make us better, the flesh is no longer flesh, but it's spiritual, if just in part, right? And the body and the, the Bible says that the body, whenever it dies, it is what? It is sown, a natural body. Not a spiritual body. But if Jesus comes in and He gives this body here some good to do, the ability to do good, then it's no longer natural. But it's now a spirit-filled body. But is that what the Scripture teaches us? Is this body ever become spiritual? No. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, that this body is natural and it will only be natural and it will only produce the things of the natural man. The spiritual body that is perfect and holy and righteous and is without sin is something that's waiting for us when this body perishes. Whenever this body made of dust goes back to the ground from which it was made, then that new body is given to us that is created Righteous, holy, it's not tainted with sin and is joined with that perfect Holy Spirit that is in us. That cannot sin, right? So there's nothing that this flesh can do in this time, in this life, that is pleasing because any efforts of the Spirit to work something in this flesh... It was contrary to the Word of God because the Word of God says this flesh is only flesh and it cannot be anything else but flesh. It can only produce the things of the flesh and therefore they will not be accepted neither will the works of the flesh be accepted. So even if the Spirit works in your flesh, out of your flesh, so others can see things in the flesh, then that right there is not something that has made you accepted before God. Now it might be actions that we do it might be stuff that we do, but that is not the basis and the grounds on acceptance before God, a keeping of keeping a perseverance before God. That has got nothing to do with salvation, whether eternal or temporal. If you allow me that word. <clears throat> Have I drove clear that the flesh cannot do anything? The flesh cannot do anything, brethren. The flesh desires the things of the earth and of time. The Spirit desires the things of heaven and eternity. Completely opposite. The flesh desires the elevation of self. The Spirit desires the elevation of Christ. And there's where the rub is. That's where I went back to what we were talking about in Romans chapter 12. Not being conformed to this world. Being conformed to this world is elevating self. But being transformed by the renewing of your mind is to exalt and to lift up Christ instead. The flesh desires elevation of self. The spirit desires elevation of Christ. If we are to elevate Christ, we are not to look to our own self for righteousness, but look to Christ alone. That's called faith. The works of the flesh will always exalt the flesh. The works of the Spirit will always exalt the works of Christ. So it says here, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now what's that tied to? Well, look back up at verse 18. It says, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Well, what does that mean? Well, if we are being led by the Spirit, the Bible says that the law is not of faith, right? So if we're being led by the Spirit, the Spirit is not going to lead us in the things of death. It's not going to lead us in the law because the law is not of faith. The Spirit is given to us to lead us in faith. So if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. you're under grace if we're led by the spirit we're not out there working for acceptance and salvation sanctification we're out there living in faith of what Christ has done that's being led of the spirit therefore we're not under the law but if you want to sink back and look to your flesh to produce something present your bodies a living sacrifice then guess what you're now back under the law. You're back under the law. Ain't that what Paul told us already in this in this book? That if you desire to do those things, that you are back under bondage. If you want to go back to the weak and beggarly elements, you're now going to bring yourself back under bondage. You're back under the law. You say you want to keep the law. Do you not know what the law says? The law says you've got to keep it perfectly. Every bit of it. Not just the Ten Commandments. But every bit of it. Every bit of it, you've got to keep it perfectly. See, you can't do that. You can't. It's only going to condemn you. Every time you go back to wanting to do what the law tells you to do, you're subject to have to keep a whole entire thing, and it's going to condemn you. It's death. The law is the ministry of death. So Paul says if we're led in the Spirit, we're not under that. Now, look at verse 19. I want to make a couple of things here before we finish up. It says, But if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And I want you to pay close attention. There's two words being used here. Verse 19 starts out and talks about the things of the flesh. And then in verse 22 we're going to see the things of the Spirit. But it, it starts off with two different words. It says... Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of the flesh. Brethren, these are manifest in the nature of Adam. That's what every one of us are capable of, save for the grace of God, keeping us from doing any of these things. But look, it says it's the works of the flesh. That's what we do. That's what we produce. That's what the flesh produces. If you want to live by the flesh, you're going to be producing those things. If you think that your acceptance is going to be through the flesh, that's what these things are and they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. You notice it didn't say the works of the Spirit. It said the fruits. See, the works of the flesh are things that we do because that's what naturally comes out of us. But what happens with the Spirit is nothing that we can work, it's what's worked in us. A fruit, and we've talked about this example before, a fruit is something that comes from the life of the vine and the branch that holds it there. The life is the life of the vine and it comes through the branch. And it just is produced by the life that's in the vine. And the only thing that that branch does is just show forth that that fruit. It doesn't work the fruit. You don't see an apple out there working itself to shine it up to make it look shiny and red. Okay? You don't see a banana out there trying to curve itself and make itself nice and curvy. You don't see the fruit doing any work because a because fruit is not work. The work was done by the life that flowed into it. So it's the 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 fruit is the outcome of the work of the life inside upon the inside of the branch. It's not the work of the branch. It's not anything that the branch does. Matter of fact, whenever you see these fruits, what it's doing, It's Most of the time, it's just barely hanging by something very tiny and small. You don't even hardly see it. It's almost as if that fruit is not even connected at all to that tree. It's just hanging there. It's just dangling there. How many of y'all eat the stems from an apple? When you pull an apple off, Do you eat that stem? No, because there's nothing good in that, right? It's just just what holds that on to display the fruit on the tree, or on the vine, or on the plant, whatever it is that you're looking at, right? The life of Christ is what is worked on the inside of us so that we, in and of ourselves, produce a fruit. Not that we work out a fruit. We don't work this out. And I've heard people say, and you've probably heard this too, that the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. But you know, I don't have that fruit yet. I don't have this fruit yet. You know, I'm working on my temperance, but you know, I've got I've got love and I've got joy and I've got peace. Long suffering, I'm the Lord's still working on that. You're assuming that the fruit is something that you work, that the fruit is something that you produce. But it's not. It's something that the Spirit produces in you. In you. Therefore we have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against us there is no law. There is no law because those are works of the Spirit, not works of the flesh. And the Bible says if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're not under the law, then there is no law to be against that. So anything that the Spirit produces in us, there is no law saying you can't do that, or that's not good, or you're condemned for doing that. But anything that comes out of works of the flesh, the law has every right to condemn. So you see, what is Paul telling us here? Why does he even bring these things up? Why does He bring up the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit right here? Is it a marching command for you to quit doing the works of the flesh and start doing the fruits of the Spirit? No. What's He doing? Why did He put this in this section about liberty in Christ Jesus? Why did He put it in this section about being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit? Because we got to know where the sources is of both of these. The source of the flesh is us. The works of the flesh is us. The fruits of the Spirit is Him. And if we realize that everything that is in us is condemnable, and everything that's produced by Him is acceptable, then we quit looking to us and we keep looking to Him. That's why it's in here. That's why it's there. This isn't a little segment that Paul added in so that it would bolster your flesh to get out and do good. He put it in here to once again drive us to our knees to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's there to prove to us that the works of the flesh are manifest It's things that cannot keep the law of God. Therefore, quit looking and hoping in and turning to the things of the flesh for your salvation, for your acceptance, for your continuance in salvation. Because it will never, ever turn out good for you. Look to Jesus. He said, matter of fact, verse 24... They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We have crucified those things. We know that the flesh is not going to produce anything. So therefore, we have died to ourselves. We have died. Now what does that mean? That each day I get up and I tell myself, nope, you're not going to do that so I'm going to Constrain my sin so I can live holy. Is that what that's talking about? No. What does dying to yourself mean? It means to die to the understanding that I can produce righteousness. That's what dying to yourself means. That's what this means. I have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. The lust of the flesh is to produce righteousness. We, if we are God's children, crucify the flesh. We put it to death. There is no notion of righteous keeping for me because I'm just flesh. The only righteousness is what Christ has done. Brethren, it always comes back to Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ alone. He's our substitute. Why why would we need a substitute if we could produce this righteousness on our own? That's why Paul said, if you think that you can do these things, then Christ has died in vain. Christ is of no effect for you. Might as well just forget about the whole thing of the cross because you can produce a righteousness that's acceptable to God. That's a slap in the face of God. That's blasphemy to think that God would accept any work that we do. Preacher, are you are just saying that we just live like hell and God's going to accept anything that we do because of what Christ did? That's not what I said. That's what people want to think that I said, but that's not what I said. Because the Bible here says that the love of God constrains us. The Bible here tells us that the spirit that is in us wars against and lusts against the flesh so that we cannot do the things that we want to do. So the flesh is going to be stopped by the spirit as God purposes. I told you guys this before. We're going to work every work that God has ordained for us to work. No more, but no less either. But those works are internal spiritual works that God has given for us. And that is faith. That is repentance. That is these that we read right here. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These things, those are the things that God is producing in us. Those are the works of God. And so it says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if we live in the Spirit, he's saying if you're a child of grace and you live in the Spirit, this is how we walk. He's not giving you a command to start walking that way. He says, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit... Then we should be walking in the Spirit. That's the nature of the child of the Spirit. To walk that way. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. And that goes right with what we've seen in the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh want to produce a righteousness of its own. It wants to, remember I said it a while ago, it wants to exalt itself. Let's not be desirous of vain glory. Remember when Paul said how good of a Pharisee he was? He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was Gamaliel's right hand man. He kept the law perfectly. He did all these things. I mean, he was he was he was the Jew's perfect child. But what did Paul say whenever God revealed His Son in him? Whenever God revealed His Son in Paul, Paul said, all those things that I thought were gain, I now count as loss. I consider them done Except for the glory of Christ. That's what he desires. He didn't desire to pump himself up anymore. He didn't desire to lift himself and exalt Paul anymore. He desired to exalt Christ Jesus. And so let us not be desirous of vain glory. Provoking one another. Envying one another. See, whenever you work in the flesh, you know what we start doing? We start expecting inspecting everyone else's work. Well, look at me, I do all this. Brother so-and-so, he's not doing what he ought to do. He should be doing more. How come every Sunday I do this? How come it's always these groups of people that does it, but those over there, they're not ever doing anything. We're always inspecting. Well, it was okay for Brother so-and-so to go out there and do something. We're always looking at each other. We're always going to judge each other by each other. So he says here, let's not provoke one another and envy one another. Let's look unto Christ. Let's look at Him. Alright, does anybody have a question? Or a comment? Passage of scripture that comes to your mind. you want to read? I just want to ask because
1: uh, here in Spanish says it's the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes I hear that uh, you said it in plural, but I don't know if it's, it's in plural.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's a singular, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because, well, um, when it says something about words in the flesh, writer, um, it says works are like in plural. Plural. But here, um, when we talk about the spirit, it say it is the fruit. That it has nine um, characters. Characters. Yeah. It's and then I'm um Zechariah 4, um, verse 6. Uh, I don't know if you can read it. What was it, Zechariah? Yes. Yeah. Uh, chapter 4, and verse 6. And we have to know that it's not because we're going to do something. just because of the Spirit.
0: Zechariah 4, yeah, 6. It's the last. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord and the host. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's actually what I was kind of getting at a while ago whenever I said we look at those fruit of the spirit and we start saying, well, I'm working on this one and I'm trying on this one I'm not too good at this one. It isn't. It isn't sing, singular or plural f- fruits, as the brother said. It's a singular thing. This is the fruit. Love, joy, peace, all those things are the characteristic of the Spirit of God in us. It's not we're working on this one. We're working on this one. We're working on this one. Okay. You know, we used to sing that song. He's still working on me. Make me what I ought to be. Okay. It's really not biblical. He's still working on me, but he's working on me to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, not to start working on the outward flesh. He's not working on me to try to make me more holy, because I can't be holy. He's working on me to trust in the one who is holy. And look to him. Yeah, brother, that's 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 a good observation there that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. Now, I I was taught that growing up. Uh, Despite what what I believed myself, what I believed about that, uh, you know, something that we worked on, but we were taught that it's a singular thing there, it's not a plural, that they all come together in one package. It's a fruit basket. (laughs) Not a fruit market. Copyright, trademark. <laughs> <With your> put <picture. laughs> my picture on that and put that on the internet. <laughs> All right. Anybody else got a question or any, any correction? All right. <laughs> Let's bow and have our Father we thank you today for your grace and mercy. Once again, we thank you for Christ Jesus. Who is our all in all. Lord, we know that this flesh will always produce the things of the flesh. But we look to the finished work of Jesus Christ and we rest in that. And Lord, I know that there are many who listen and watch who they don't grasp that. And they cannot grasp it because it's spiritually enlightened. It's spiritually uh, taught. <coughs> These are not things that, that are revealed By flesh and blood, but they're revealed by the Spirit of God. But Father, we truly are thankful of the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. That it truly is Him, our substitute. And that as we live the rest of this life, and though He can form our mind by His Word in teaching us more about Him, Lord, we learn more and more of our inability And we cherish more His ability. And so, Father, I just pray that those that are listening and hearing, especially those who might have doubts or uh, have have trouble with these things, Lord, I pray that You, by Your Spirit, might teach them and You might bring them into a right understanding. Father, I pray that if what I preach is, is not of the truth, which I know that I'm prone to be able to do because of my flesh, Lord, I, I pray that if it is an error, that You would bring me into correction through Your Word. But brethren, we feel here and we know that, that we cannot say more about Christ. Uh, we cannot say too much about Christ, uh, I should say. And, and so, Father, we just say that that our hope is in Him and not in our performance. And Lord, we just pray that even if our lack of performance, quote, unquote, is a sin against God. We know that even that has been covered by His blood. We do not want to presume upon that. But Father, that's our only hope. It's to do what we know. What we've been taught, and we've been taught of God that we are to look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Our hope is Jesus. Our life and our punishment was by Jesus. And that He now lives to ever intercede for us so that there is never any guilt. No one can lay any charge against God's elect. So Father, I just pray that You just might help us to continue to cherish the Gospel. And may it exalt the Lord Jesus Christ always. And that You might help us to stay in the faith here at this church. And I pray for these brethren that are here, Lord, that you be with them as they leave this place to speak, and that you might speak and minister and testify of what Christ has done through them to the people that they're around, Lord. May they glorify Christ and honor Christ in all the things that they say and do. Uh, Lord, I just thank you again. Uh, and it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.